Hey, I'm Gary David. And I'm Adam Gamwell. Welcome to Experience by Design, the podcast where we explore experience designs of all kinds. The idea of pleasing customers or perhaps not pleasing customers goes back as far as the beginnings of human history. Little did how we, do we know. How do we know this? Well, because there is a 3,800-year-old clay tablet what? written in cuneiform writing. In cuneiform, for those of you who don't know, you have the clay tablet. Um, and a stylus to make all of these marks in the clay tablet. And that, my friends, is cuneiform. So we have cuneiform writing from the city of Ur that is perhaps our oldest evidence of customer complaints. A man named Nani complained about the quality of copper he received from Ia Nasser. And if any of you have dealt with Ia Nasser before, you know what I'm talking about with his quality of copper. So true. Not, not good, not good. Along with other issues regarding the copper, the way his slave was treated, and subsequent delays with delivering the product. In fact, a quote from this tablet says, what do you take me for that you treat somebody like me with such contempt? The letter goes on from there with complaints about the lack of customer service and the overall poor customer experience. In fact, we might consider this to be the world's first Yelp review. So clearly, customer service and customer experience are not new concepts, even if they are relatively new terms. Why then, we might ask, does it seem like we are still struggling in the same way that Nani struggled? Despite various technological advances, why does it still seem like in many ways customers are moving backwards in terms of their experiences? They're not necessarily getting better, but in some ways are in fact getting worse. Is the customer experience movement even helping or hindering the creation of a good customer experience. And perhaps most interestingly, on a scale of zero to 10, how likely was Nani to recommend the copper vendor Ian Nasser to his friends and family? I'm guessing that Nani was a detractor rather than a promoter. I, I suspect so. I, I'm also, uh, you know, as, as you're saying this, thinking about the fact that uh, we may have to have like a experience by design through the ages a special season or something because uh who knew that we had customer service complaints all the way back then which also means we still haven't gotten them right uh you know some some 5000 years later or 3000 i guess not 3000 bc but 3800 years later so we have still not got this right in about 4000 years that's that's not great not good um, not good yeah means we have a lot of work a lot of work ahead of us still i think um and to help us think about this uh both through time and into the future we're going to be exploring these questions and many more we're going to welcome Alex Mead to the podcast today in the EXD studio. And Alex is well-known across CX customer experience circles for his strong positions and ideas on what the field of customer experience needs, as well as what companies need to do to create better experiences. And hopefully he and we should know at some point because it's been 3,800 years. So long We've time, a lot, <laughs> long time. Now, Alex knows that to improve customer experience, you have to start with employee experience, something that we've said on this podcast uh, many times as well. And the, the the interesting part is that companies often fail to conduct a systems or systems level analysis to get at the root cause of their issues. They think a customer service problem is, is purely on the customer side or experience or employee problems on the, on the employee side. But really, we're going to see there's a, a deep interconnection between the two of them. And if companies do do a more systems level analysis, they seldom want to actually hear what they should do with those results. 
the outcome is the replay of the same kind of issue, right? That Nani had to deal with for 3,800 years in the past and all the way till today. So Nani would also, I think you're right, would be a detractor all along the way. Now, Alex will take us through two interesting frameworks that he's developed. One is called the EPIC framework. And this is like an, an uh, acronym, which stands for Easy, Personalized, Intuitive, and Contextual. And this is for customers. And then on the employee side, he talks about a time framework, also an acronym that stands for time, information, motivation, and empowerment. Now, ultimately, we need to focus on delivering the experiences that people want between and across these, not just the ones that our businesses tend to force them to. So if you're thinking about selling copper ingots going forward, uh, and you're thinking about maybe not treating your, your constituents, your customers so nice, just be aware that we're going to hear about it in 4,000 years. We might, so, we might think we need to create an epic time for our ooh, customers. That's hey, a great point. see what I did there? He, he, he's, he's, he's free on the, he does a Thursday night stand-up comedy too. Oops. <laughs> Um, so it was a great, you know, talking with Alex as well as thinking across time here um, on the podcast, you know, both employees, customers, all the way across the spectrum and uh, how do we build better connections there. So we're excited to hop into it with you. So without further ado, let's do it. <laughs> because as, I, as I've been told that uh, Alex has quite the personality in the CX world. I don't know if famous, infamous, well-regarded. Uh, um, he's annoying for some and amazing for others. So it's like Marmite, your perspective. Is it the accent, you think? I mean, if you had a different accent, would it come off differently? Because we just celebrated Patriot's Day here in the United States, which is the anniversary of when we started shooting at British people. I know, I know. And I always, um, I love 4th of July. I go to the American parties here in Bahrain. Right. I, say you're, I say you're welcome. For what? We gave you independence. <laughs> we, we finally let, let, let you take over the kindergarten after we'd grown you up a little anyway. I've no, been to that party once. That was a good party. I've been to the 4th of July party from the American embassy in Bahrain. And Absolutely. it was, it's always interesting to see your country done in a different country <laughs> as an experience. Mm-hmm. I was in Moscow teaching and uh, I went to an American diner quote unquote. And I was like, huh, this is what they think of us. <laughs> Just mini skirts and cars as far Absolutely. as the I could see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had some Filipinos with um, cowboy boots and hats as well. So because they obviously met the Texans a week before. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> enough of that. Exactly right. So I actually found out that you're going to be on a panel with a friend of mine, Carl Shiraz. Correct. You know what? I, I say yes to everything and I do zero prep. They've sent a list of 10, 15. No, there's another one. I, I've got too confused. I, I was sent a list of 15 questions. Just ask me on the day. I, I don't like to think in pre-prepared spiel. So I, I should have an answer. And if I don't have an answer, I'll just say don't know. So well, let's it's, hope. It's an interesting moment because for those who don't know, it's uh, for a panel for the Michigan State University CX Correct. graduate program. And it's been, you know, I'm, as I told you before, I did my dissertation work on service encounters. So kind of pre-CX, I guess, and not been in the CX game that long, although CX isn't that old. It's interesting to see the quote-unquote professionalization of the discipline, if you will, and what shape is it taking? Because as a person who studies professions, the way in which a profession goes from nascent to mature, to adolescent to mature, to perhaps infirmed, is always an interesting thing to observe. 
Yeah, and honestly, uh, it's Carl and Jerry, I think, are the two guys I'm talking with. And I picture them as Wardour and Stat- Statler is on um, the Muppets. The <laughs> <laughs> Muppets, yeah. They agree with every word I'm saying. Like, please just disagree. But they very much had the view of me that this whole creation of this CX movement has ruined customer experience. It's like an irony, isn't it? Let's put customers at the heart of everything. Create CX departments, and all we're always seeing is customer service experience go down the toilet. So, yeah, I think they're they're very aligned to me on that. Hmm. Is that? Do you think it's like the, the creation of models around? Like, we want to make a framework for what. The customer experience should be, or is, is it that and that lost some organic, like organic nature yeah. of, of interactions? Yeah, 90% of my view comes from my own personal experience, obviously. But uh, I've worked in, I was a customer service agent in the 90s before the internet. That, that's when we're talking from. So mm-hmm. you had phone calls, you had letters. You didn't like the look of the letter. If it was an angry complaint, it might get mysteriously filed in the bin. Honestly, those were the days. If you didn't like, if you didn't want to take calls, you read the Stephen King book for three hours and just made sure you look busy. That was my my start in this world, but I, I've been through um, worked my way up to to be a customer service director in the the two thousands, and in those days, I was responsible for making sure we serviced, we answered, we responded, but also providing insights and improving mm. the reason for the contact. So along came all the technology, but as a customer service leader, I was responsible for improving CX. And then along came this bubble of, hey, we're going to create a CX accredited specialist certified whatever bunch of people sit them in the corner who are going to journey map and do voc it means that the people who who actually run customer service the contact center guys are are completely disjointed from that now so um Mm. i I think if we could just remove these functions of these siloed functions of customer experience and integrate them into the leadership teams of the the guy that also runs the contact centers or lady customer service and that should also be the same person that designs the self-service solutions another post i'm going to put it and probably next week is you think most organ customers think singularly i'm going to pick up my app i'm going to try and help myself i may go on my desktop i may phone you i may chat you but the people who design those in companies are in different functions right so Mm. the people who run the customer service team who talk to the customers customers are fed up because they have to repeat information they've already shared with the chatbot or the self-service those people are on a different team to the people that design the chatbots and the digital so it's just Mm. this top cx thing i think has has created a pocket of expertise, which actually has made it worse. Um, it should. I, I don't disagree with the majority view that CX should be part of everything we do. All that, all that lovely poster material, but it should be owned in a, a business by a customer service leader and that, a customer service experience leader. And just the other point, people get frustrates me a lot. They say customer service. You mean customer support? I, I do the American mm. accent I hear a lot. No, no, <laughs> right. I don't mean support. I mean customer service experience at every life cycle stage. I often don't book flights, hotel rooms, or even products on websites. I don't purchase them because I can't get the customer service answer I want before I even think about buying. So mm. um, that that's why, to me, there used to be a sales and marketing director. Or actually, going back even more clearly, to be a marketing director, a sales director, an ops director, IT, HR, customer service director, maybe some other ones. Then along came digital directors, transformation directors, CX directors. No, those are things that should be within each of those six core functions. And honestly, it's uh, to me, uh, all I know is my personal experience. I never take a customer service leadership role unless I also own the customer experience, innovation and insight. And mm. that, that's, that's rare. So, um, and I think that that's where we need to get back to. 
It reminds me of like, there's two things. One is a kind of a famous study in technology at work by a, I don't know if she's a sociologist, but her name is uh, Shoshana Zuboff. And Adam, I don't know if you're familiar with Zuboff's mm -hmm. work, yep. or, where she was, if I'm not mistaken, looking at a paper, a pulp, a paper making or a pulp making facility. And she would follow the, you know, the old guys who would go around, look in the vats, feel the pulp, kind of get a sense of where things were in terms of how ready it was, what needed to be added. And then that those guys were replaced by people sitting in a room looking at readouts. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and which, and, and, was better, which was better. I'm sure the former. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, we also get into this either or or yes and right. Is there is this idea of the dashboard right? And everyone's got this you know this fetish of the dashboard. We need a dashboard yeah. versus actually you know talking to people and and listening and hearing and valuing the expertise of the workers who are doing the work and you know using that as the foundation upon which this customer service experience is built because they are the ones who who have the best knowledge. I also often tell people, don't confuse um, paycheck with uh, value. <laughs> Absolutely. People who are paid the lowest might have the greatest insights into what needs to be done. And you know, I, I have a, a great, the honest answer to your question is, um, it should be a combination of the guys in the office and the guys with the, the, in the head. But I've got a real, real world example again. Just over a decade ago, I was um, put in charge of a logistics company delivering half a million packages a day throughout the UK and Europe. And we were, we were shocker. Literally, we'd get 100 plus thousand, 100,000 plus phone calls per day. We'd answer four or 5,000 if you were lucky. There was no digital self-service. There was no parcel tracking. So if you were told your parcel was being delivered by us, you you were stuck if we didn't deliver and you, you expected it to happen. The tracking would update and say, we tried to deliver, but you weren't in. And customers were on social media. You liars. Mm. I've been in all day. Nobody came. And there's no card for the letterbox. I know you're lying. And there were mm. 50,000 plus of these. So the clever techie guys, I think they probably got McKinsey, Accenture, Deloitte, all the usual right. guys in. We should put route optimization software in and make every route digitized and controlled rather than use the experience of these drivers who knew the area, who'd driven the route 20 plus years. So um, they literally ruthless cha changed from the old model where the drivers would turn up at a depot at 5, 6 a.m., have the parcels pre-sorted by the people that knew them well in terms of their geography and the postcode route. They've been that and said, right now, you're going to come in, your packages will be preloaded in your van with an optimized route. Mm. And um, the marketing guy said, hey, and we can communicate it to customers. It'll be awesome. And uh, so they rolled it out without testing it thoroughly. And 25% plus of when we said we'd be there between two and four and five and seven, we failed. Um, but then 30% of those, we said we tried to deliver. <laughs> so we actually made things so much worse. Hey, we're going to be awesome. We're going to give you a time and we're going to lie about it and also fail it. So um Nobody could work out why why this was happening. Why aren't drivers adhering to these routes? But I already knew the answer because I'd been out with those drivers uh, before the, we rolled out the tech. And the driver in one depot would say, uh, look at this route. It's crazy. They expect me to go to these four addresses. I know that's when the school run is happening. I won't mm. even be able to get my truck down that, that road. So do you know what? There's no option for me to change it. I'll just say I try to deliver. And I also know that factory, they don't accept deliveries between 12 and 1. It's their lunch break. They're unionized. So the stuff in those old guys' head needed to be fed into this, right. this system. So we, well, A, I had to prove it. Anecdotes, you know, anecdotes wouldn't work. 
the guys don't why just make just fire them don't give them a bonus so they don't adhere to these roots but because i knew um they had valid answers we, we came to a model where they'd be given a proposed route at 6 a.m where they'd open their pda here's your proposed route but of your 70 drops you can move around 10 without any questions you can optimize them based on what's in your head if you need another 10 you just have to pass it for manager approval and that was again a system change and getting out of these these experienced people's head but what we changed is so when you press that button and leave that depot you're committing to that route you're saying this is a route i think i can achieve and by the way if you what we now call in the industry false card if for any reason you think you can't make that time we've communicated to the customer when you press i try to deliver we're going to immediately have an alert on where your gps position is and if you carry on with that practice you're going to have a nasty conversation when you come back to the mm -hmm. depot but honestly mckinsey's deloitte pwc they could not work out why i wasn't working and it was because the gut stuff in those guys head mm. needed to be part of the system it was it was amazing hmm. I, I mean that's that's such an yeah it's a great example and it, and it really makes me think of the the challenge we have with the kind of pedestal that we tend to put on like the big four, the, the, the consulting groups and the, the accounting firms too, in terms of that we say that they, we always got to bring them in to help us figure something out. And it's like, even yeah. this idea of, of what does it mean to bring in external knowledge for what we might have already within our system. So I guess I'm, I'm yeah, I'd love to kind of think about other examples that come to mind of this, of how we've, how you've been able to kind of bring in and actually listen to and, and get the, the like embodied knowledge right this makes you think of simon roberts wrote the book the power of not thinking too of like how we can Absolutely. learn to trust our yeah. bodies because that's how we know so many things that we don't even articulate often well, um, his, his, really his, are, yeah, yeah. is another example which um i won't say who the company was but it was a, a, a bank <laughs> look me up on linkedin I work for that many if you're that <laughs> but um and uh, i was brought in uh, as someone to fix their initially their mortgage sales real estate sales do you call them mortgages in um the yes. us yeah, yeah it's a okay and um they th this huge financial company had acquired a one of the leaders in the uk and integrated them without any integration so there were literally buildings and customer service agents brokers people in branches now under the same brand sitting next to each other with different systems different tech and um Alex, um, you're, I've brought in as an interim initially, and I, I don't like the word interim, but your role is to increase the sales. The sales are just sucking. We've literally mm -hmm. tried three different sales and marketing directors from within our bank, our group, and they, they can't fix it. So uh, again, um, what did I do? I, I have a natural ability. First of all, let me work, walk in the shoes of the customer and let me at the same time walk in the shoes of everyone that interacts with that customer. So what what possible and you can't just do a singular journey map so mm -hmm. that's, that's the outcome you've got to think like what types of customer do we have uh, you can profile them what don't, don't come up with too many groups are they um retired are they parents with children uh, are they parents getting a mortgage for their children you know all these things so come up with the five or six core customer types then come up with the the ways they could go about inquiring about a mortgage um they could walk into a branch they could phone a call center they could go to a website in those days there's pretty much the three channels and then think about what are all the life cycle stages so we then create and I, I rarely write it down but in my head it's like a a virtual network i create how am i going to fact find so okay life stage one they want to know more about a mortgage from our bank um okay how do we if they walk into a branch how do we treat them if they phone us or they go to a website and send an email or a chat and those even that, that singular stage we realized ah we have over a thousand branches people walk into a branch 
they could be stood there for five, 10 minutes. There's no, there's no um, ability for them to get information without queuing up behind a teller, behind the guy who's also making a deposit of 50 checks. That's, that's a crazy. So they're going to walk out. That's a failed. They go to our website. We don't tell them anything. We give them generic FAQs about our mortgage. We don't say, hey, what are you interested? What features are you looking for about our mortgage? Uh, yeah, in fact, you can underwrite the mortgage offer for your kids by up to 80%. Ah, you know, that's, that's a great answer for me. Or I'm retired. I want to, I want to get a mortgage. I actually have 90% of the deposit. I just want to know what you can do better than the other banks if I'm only need to borrow 10%. So each time I realize you walk into a branch, there's no differentiator for why you're here as soon as you get in. And not that awful. You can do that with a human being coming and say, Hey, how can I help you? Or you can automate it. And you go to our website. It's just generic FAQ. And whenever I get one of these things, I like to have someone, okay. Can we factually prove this? And we could, they were factually proving footprints in branches, how long people stayed, whether they spoke to someone. So I had evidence for that. We had decibel insight, I think hotspots to show people who came to our website, saw the FAQs and just left. And obviously in the call center, it's easy for me to, to sit with the agents and say, right, um, show me what you say to a customer who asks about our mortgages. And there was a huge failure just at that very first life cycle stage. And I could go on to all the stages. The, the applying for a mortgage was over the phone or in a branch was an hour fact find. And then for 20% of those customers, you, you always sent a paper document. That was, it was a few years ago. You had to sign the document and send it back. But for 20 to 25% of those customers, there was a an error between the mortgage underwriting platform for one and the fulfillment company. And you were literally mm. set a 30-page blank form where you'd have to give all the information again. You said mm. on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I could go through all the life cycle stages, but all I what I discovered is my predecessors only ever measured volume of value of mortgages sold in that month how much mortgage mm. revenue put in they didn't look at all those life cycle stages so even in those first two stages alone i realized god there are so many fundamental issues but taking it to the the end result i always i always have a very simple rule if i'm someone selling or servicing someone measure me on the things within my control there were about three thousand people involved in the mortgage sales um, framework branches contact centers back office etc and every one of them was measured and rewarded on mortgage value when the mortgage completed mm. too huge mortgage value i remember saying that's luck what do you mean alex no it's not luck uh well okay that guy wants to borrow a million pounds that guy wants to borrow a hundred thousand pounds they both want one mortgage so mm -hmm. if the guy on the left with 100,000 sells five mortgages that day, the guy on the right sold that one million mortgage, the one on the right seems as though he's doing a better job. Right. Was, yeah. It's dumb. Uh, and um, the second part of it is, and uh, well, I can see your argument, Alex, but there's always there's always a but, even though you know you're right. Um, our guys are driven by value. They love value. So they want to focus on the high sale. So again, my analytical head, I had the stats to show that, for some reason, there was a floor, a, a wooden dollar measure in in the all the mortgage sellers' heads that four hundred thousand pound above that go for it. It's worth it. Less than four hundred thousand pound, it's not worth the time. Maybe they had half a million, but I I, I, proved, I discovered only eight percent of our mortgage applications were above the amount people thought was worth it, and the conversion rate for those was sixty percent. The conversion rate ninety two percent less was 12% because <laughs> they literally, I can't be bothered to sell to you. Right. Just get off the phone. Let me talk to one of these high value guys. Mm, yeah. And the second aspect of that is they got their bonus when the mortgage completed. What's their job? Persuade the customer to go through an offer. Really close the deal. Get them to fill out the forms. Okay, Mr. Ms. Mrs. Customer, great news. Your offer is fulfilled. When you move, we'll share it with you. We'll, we'll send you the money. People typically move three to six months later after their offer. Mm. 
So um, I remember putting one slide right at the start of a huge scientific debt. And sometimes in life, there are amazing moments. The group CEO of the entire bank walked in and I, my slide said, we are motivating, measuring and rewarding everyone on something they did luckily three to six months ago. I want to put the impact statement. And my God, so uh, what, I, what I changed that to, I changed that to fixing all those dumb life cycle stages. But every one of these people is, every mortgage is worth one. You can't, you can't actually not allowed to try and persuade a customer to borrow more than they've asked for. It's against the mm -hmm. rules. So you convert one, it's worth one. And by the way, we have huge um, initiatives on selling home insurance, life insurance, contents insurance. Upsell a bit of insurance, that's within your control, that's worth 0.2. Mm. So if you sell a mortgage with all the associated stores, that's worth 1.5. Ah, Alex, you don't get mortgages. I don't know why they brought you in. You're an idiot. Tell you what, I'll take our largest contact center site, a thousand agents. They've agreed with me. We'll pilot it there. I'll tell them, forget value. Everyone's worth one. And secondly, you get your credit when the application is back in the building and underwriting say it's fit for lending. Oh, my God, that sounds so easy. And I rolled it out and I, I stood in an auditorium. Anyone think I'm an idiot with this idea? There were quite a few did, but hey, let's give it a go. And within two months, their sales went up by 600%. They were the right. flagship of the entire bank. And this, the, my boss said, just roll it out everywhere. I don't care. It's halfway through the year. Don't worry about the fact we can't change bonus schemes. And at the end of that year, our sales were 27% above target. They were 33% below when I joined. And we won an award as best customer experience in mortgage lending. Like, duh. And it, honestly, that's why customer experiences, when I hear you, you have to um, be accredited in journey mapping VOC. It's like, it's, it's an R, like a, if you're a great football or soccer manager, you may call it, and you inherit a bad team, you, you know the, the sort of things you need to be doing. Is it the diet? Is it the um, tactics? Is it the players? Is it the attitude? And the answer is, it's always all of them. So, you know, you have to, you have to come up with something that glues it all together. Well, one of the things with that, you know, I was looking, I, I, I did find the bank on your LinkedIn because you said to look it up. So I did. But I also saw that, you know, you have your degree in computer systems and information engineering. So you're, you're, you have a background in engineering, but you're kind of talking like an engineer. No offense to engineers out there. Absolutely, and yeah. At the same time, you're not. You're talking like a human being. Um, not that engineers can't be human beings, but, <laughs> you know. So it's, it's, it's an interesting mix because one of the things that Adam and I often talk about is, you know, when it comes to methodologies or, you know, yeah. data, that qualitative and quantitative triangulation, mixed methods, all of these things in the social sciences that we yeah. often emphasize. And you're sounding very much like that, where you have the ability to speak in this quantitative framework that people in the C-suite can recognize, understand, and react to. But then on the other hand, you're looking at it from a qualitative <laughs> perspective in terms of the workplace practices, the competencies, capabilities that people are bringing. And so it's less of a question, but more of an observation of trying to bring those things together. And I see that, you know, as CX and other experience channels become far more quantitative. They they lose the human in the process. Absolutely, and do you know what? I I, I kind of suspected this question may come up. It was asked in. Um, I, I've seen every methodology: Six Sigma, Lean, Kaizen, or Agile. I had a, a eighteen month Agile. Oh, Agile. Just I don't scrum sprints chapters. Can we not just do stuff? And why do we only <laughs> think one quarter ahead? I want to be thinking two years mm -hmm. ahead. And anyway, anyway, forget that. But I, I know all the service design thinking, all these things. I think some, if I, if I was a different sort of person, I would have created my own framework. I would have written my own books. I probably would have made money out of that because I, I think 12 years ago, I stood up for, and um, in fact, uh, 
no, maybe even longer, 15 years ago, I stood up and similar. I was often brought in when things were badly broken. I, I don't want to be in badly broken world. I just want to be in make it better world now. But um, I was, I came up with a framework that has not changed. Um, and it's m- my natural framework. I, I do write it down when I join organizations, but customers need four things. They need everything. They have to be easy, personalized, intuitive, and contextual. And I'll I'll come back to those and employees who interact with customers, whether they be the self-service employees or the people they talk to, they need time, information, motivation and empowerment. But behind those two lots of four very simple words, that's where my my framework kicks in. So, um, yeah, epic, Alex. Yeah, anyone could say epic. So what does that mean? And if I join any company, right, easy, again, take it to the life cycle stage. If uh, I've worked for airlines, if I'm, I'm looking at an airline website or I'm on an app or I'm walking past the travel agent and I want to know, okay, if I buy that flight, uh, I'm interested in that flight. I want to know there's a connection, uh, Miami airport, two and a half hours later. Uh, will I make it? Because two and a half hours feels a bit mm. close. Is that concourse next to that concourse? My brain will straight away go, that's not easy. They should be able to ask right. the question without having to sit in a call center queue. That's the sort of thing you should get a self-service answer. And something, and that's where I think the chat GPTs of the world, if they're going to win, they need to, the customer needs to be easily asked that question and chat GPT to say, ah, do you know what? If it was, if our flight arrived perfectly on time, you would have a 80% chance of making it, but don't worry if you don't make it because we will automatically book you on the next flight. So relax mm. or Actually, we wouldn't book you on the next flight because there's not a code share. So it's your risk, dude. Um, mm. We would say, okay, I won't risk it. You know, so that is easy. And then personalized. Okay, t- personalized. Okay. Hi, Alex. We can see you've taken this flight twice before. And we noticed you missed the connection on the previous two times. <laughs> What do you chill? We'll put you on a later flight. And uh, we also, um, cause we're going to personalize it. We know you're one of our gold customers. So you can get, to, you can hang out in the lounge in Miami, even though you're not a credited partner for that lounge. We'll sort it out for you. You know, that, that, doing the stuff. And then, but his intuitive, as I'm looking at that flight to Miami, this thing says, ah, we can see the last three times you've flown to Miami. You've then flown on to Panama. If that's what you're trying to do again, maybe you want a different itinerary because the last two or three times you've, you've booked it, it hasn't worked out for you. So that's, in, that's intuiting what I'm probably going to ask about. And then contextual is, Alex, when um, you spoke to us two months ago about this flight, you told us it was for a huge conference where you're the keynote speaker. Don't risk that flight, mate. Really, you know, let, let's do something really smart and clever for you. Let's guarantee you. Why, why don't you fly a day earlier or, or whatever um, or d- – Here's a flight that's four hours later. It's it's not it's not as smooth a connection, but you'll be more relaxed. And by the way, have a nice speech. La la la. So right. easy. And you, you can apply that to the biggest example of Epic. I'll try and keep it short. Is is Amazon, who are, are getting worse in my experience here. I know, I know right. they're still very well respected in the US. So when, whenever Christmas comes with Amazon, I, I order 15, 20 gifts to the UK, UK to UK, UK to Bahrain, different countries. At least a third of them now fail for some reason with their expected mm. delivery scale. And do Amazon proactively message you? No. I go to the website and I know or the app and I notice your delivery was here. Here's your new expected delivery. Well, that's it. What if I told you when I was ordering that, and maybe you should re-engineer your processes so you find out why I'm ordering that. So if I've ordered a Rolex watch and you told me it's going to be a week late, forget it's Christmas. If I said it's for my father's 50th wedding anniversary. Don't just say, hey, it's going to be another week late. No, I told you the date of the wedding. Mm. Anyway, so many things you could do on top of what we currently do now. Amazon have a one-size-fits-all. If it doesn't make it, you can wait 10 days and we'll refund it. 
I didn't order it for the refund. I ordered it because I needed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But some things you don't care. Yeah? So that's the context. So back to what employees need time. First of all, and I'm back to measuring people only what's within their control. Too many customer service contact center people, particularly the managers and the heads of those sites, are measured on service level. You have to answer 80% of calls in 20 seconds and chats mustn't wait. I have no ability to control the number of people that call us. I have the ability to make sure my guys are occupied and efficient and doing within a, a human level as much work as I want them to do. So if my service level is through the floor, ask marketing why I got so many calls I wasn't prepared for, or ask people why this technology isn't working. But um, so, so time should allow the, the customer service, agent operative, whatever, to be able to focus on that one customer. And clearly you want to make sure you're not wasting everyone's time by talking relentlessly about nonsense. But if you're not building rapport, if you're not demonstrating you own the issue, then it's less effective than if you are. Second thing, I hate any role when I take up the leadership. If anyone on my team has ever asked a question, they don't have the answer to information. Why is that? Uh, I don't know either, Mr. Mrs. Customer. Sorry, can't help you. That's just sucky experience for Mm. the customer and the customer service agent. So we need to find a way of getting the information. I jumped to the M last. So E is empowerment. When you have the information, ah, I see we've let you down. I see... We said it was going to be with you today. It's not going to be there till tomorrow. Do you know what? Don't worry about the order. I've seen there's one in our local store. I'll get it delivered to you this evening. Wow. What a great feeling mm. for a customer and employee. And, and if you give customer service staff time, information, and empowerment, they're motivated. But the last part of empowerment, the biggest fundamental flaw, which I'm sure you could all resonate with, you talk to a customer service contact center, whatever agent, and... Okay, um, hopefully your, your your engineer will be there tomorrow. Hopefully the delivery will come in a couple mm-hmm. of days. Should you get a re- you should get your refund um maybe uh three days or yeah, the driver's still out. He may he may deliver you tonight, don't give up. I never like that. I like my stuff. Okay. I, I don't this is what I hope will happen. But you know what? I'm gonna take a note of this. I'm gonna create something that makes sure I keep an eye on it. And as a customer service leader, I, I'd much rather have my guys say, right. I leave it with me. I'll get back to you in 30 minutes. They own the issue. So I'm going to put the phone down, stop the chat. I'm now going to phone the driver in the van. I'm going to phone the depot. I'm going to try and find an answer. And if I can't find an answer today, I will tell the customer, sorry, no more information, but tomorrow I will keep an eye on this. So, um, if you're a customer, customer service, I remember it was miserable. You're measured on calls, chats, emails. You're not empowered. You have no information to fix customer experience, you need to fix those things. Otherwise it's, it's a miserable environment and it's miserable for customers and stuff. So mm-hmm. Epic and time are my two models, but even Epic, I, I could talk all day about how you assess, are you Epic in, in any other company I work with? Mm. No, I think that, that's, a, that's really a, a great set of like criteria to think through. And even, even though the, 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 the broader stroke that you're highlighting here too, that whenever we're talking about customer experience, on a human level, we have to talk about the employee experience too, right? We can't just, we cannot have a good customer experience without having a functional and, and operative and good employee experience too, because these are your evangelists, right? Uh, your motivators. I think that, that even like having these together, I think is so fundamentally important um, that we often just see missed in so many conversations. And you know on that, uh, there are companies doing it, they're, they're grasping it, but they still don't grasp it enough. Um, the thing I like is to, if you're, as I mentioned earlier, the customer, people who design the customer service, self-service stuff um, should be, have the same feeling that the stuff is working than the mm. people that design the same, that talk to customers. But what is their one common measure? Your deflection, 
was 55%. Yay, I stopped 55% of people talking to a human being. <laughs> do, I know they, do I know they got an answer or an outcome? No. Uh, so you have to you have to think about, okay, how do they know when the chat bar or the self-service or, or the SMS told them something will happen tomorrow? How do they feel good about that solution they've given just because the chatbot has given them some words? They should somehow be able to see, okay, and the next day it didn't happen. So we created something for a human being to follow them. And honestly, the convergence of self-service and human is, is the thing that needs to happen more than anything. And, and people said, I think 10 years ago, I forget, probably Harvard Business School, 50% of human jobs will be gone by this decade. No, no, no. Um, all this because we're so below the curve in mm. answering customer demand. I think if, if it was just human beings, you need another 50% to deliver the sort of service customers want. So let's use the AI and the self-service to close the 50% we don't have right now, rather than replace those we do have right now. And of course you can take the dumb stuff out, but I, I still think there's more than enough room for human beings. And, and every human agent, well, the technology should do straight away is say, here's, Here's Adam. Adam has just spent five minutes trying to change his seat on his flight. Um, by the way, Adam is this type of customer and um, he didn't like his middle row seat last time he contacted us and reassure him, do something special. Hey, Adam, um, I guess you're trying to change your seat, but you know what? Because it wasn't good for you last time. I'm going to give you an emergency exit aisle seat. Wow, it's not a huge deal financially. So that's what the AI should do. And, and if you can automate that process, great. But it, I think the human touch behind the automation is what's missing. Mm -hmm. Missing. There, there, there are two pieces when I'm teaching this. I teach a class on design experiences at the undergraduate level. And one of the things that I try to emphasize with students is that often in this, you know, the measurement framework that companies are trying to capture, two things are often completely left out. One are expectations coming in. No yeah. one ever thinks about what was I expecting. And yeah. two was the emotion part. What was I feeling afterwards, right? And so like these black boxes of, you know, even if we met expectations, if I was expecting it to be horrible, <laughs> exactly, it doesn't yeah. really help. And also, how do we prime expectations? How do we set up expectations? One of the things I tell my children is make sure you always set the bar really low in life for people <laughs> because they'll be pleasantly surprised when you easily clear it. Absolutely. Well, do you know what? I, I, um, I got another subject where I think customer experience is just who loves all the surveys they get these days. I, I honestly, first thing I would, mm. I would love there to be a global ban on any company sending you, Hey, how was it for you? Would you recommend just for one year? So people can actually think about innovation, but I only ever ask three, well, there's the way I do it. First of all, I rarely send a survey. Every customer that interacts with, um, the company that I'm, I'm, a leadership position for whether it be via self-service or via human has a, a case record created on the crm file so hey i hope you got the answer from the chatbot or hey um i hope you have you, your self-service or the agent here's a summary of the conversation you just had you can check it here in you know where amazon have a place called my stuff and my help call it what you want you go there you don't just see your orders and your returns you see my conversations or my interactions mm -hmm. and I've, I've put this in four or five places ah i can see do you know what? I can see Gary, the agent, did actually summarize our conversation pretty well. So actually, I feel reassured rather than, yeah, mm. sure, look at you for Alex, you know. <laughs> and secondly, I can see what he said is going to happen next, or I can see that he thinks he's solved it. So what I would do is I'll SMS or email the customer. Thank you for contacting our company or, or app notification person. Thank you for contacting us. Go to my stuff to give us feedback or see a track of your record. Ah, so I can go to my stuff at any time. You go to Amazon, you can go to my stuff at any time. You can see your interactions. But if whenever you want to give feedback, because um, if, if Gary's just said, 
yeah, the parcel will be with you there tomorrow. I don't want to wait, Gary, until tomorrow. Right. And parcel, if he's if he's just a lying tow rag and he said that with absolutely no care, I'll give Gary maybe a three out of five because it may not have been Gary's fault. I'll give the company a one and the experience a one. So, so the framework I have is always one to five, first of all. And I'd love to know the academic thoughts on how the hell does naught to 10 resonate with a right. human uh, seven, eight, nine, six, seven, eight. I don't think like that. I think one, it was so bad. I never do business with you again. Two, wasn't great. Three, it was okay. Four, is good. Five, it was amazing. That's how my brain works. And um, I'm, and I'm still I- trying to figure out what a tour rag is. <laughs> I'm stuck on that part of it. It's, if, if you're Irish, it's an oily tick, oily little tick. It's uh, just um, <laughs> someone who's a blah. I don't know. I, can't think of I didn't know if it was a technical CX term or. <laughs> no, no, it's. it's uh, <laughs> It's a British term. Oh, he's a right toe rag. He always he always gives me the out, out of date milk. You could say about the milkman. It's well, not, I th- I th- we are going to have a glossary with this episode. I think. <laughs> You're going to need uh, a bit of translation. <laughs> Absolutely. What was my train of thought? What was I saying? I've forgotten what I was saying. Ha, ha, okay, I, I, no, I zero to ten. Yeah, no, I remember. So the, the three questions I always ask are, how happy are you with the outcome? Remember, you can answer when you want. Right. So the thing we said to you or the thing we said was going to happen, how happy are you with the effort you had to put in? And how happy are you with the experience? But each three of those measures are then linked. So that seems like three vague measures, but each three of those are not linked to a CSAT survey that's in a marketing. They're linked to the CRM record. So we can then mm-hmm. run a report, show me Show me the highest cases, the lowest cases for all three of those dimensions by type and reason. Ah, we can see um, it's always these these deliveries out of this depot that get the lowest satisfaction because they're late. Or it's always these customer service agents on this shift from this team that get the worst experience feedback because they sound miserable. You know, but with mm. those three dimensions, there's actually... 900 dimensions because you apply them to every case reason every case category every person they spoke to everything that was happening and th- th- again that that's I, sh- I should probably um i should write a book one day but ha, i never will but that's the way <laughs> and, and then I, I can run i can walk into exec teams and say right here are the areas where customers are happiest here where they they're happy with the outcome the experience here's where operationally we don't get so much contact how does that resonate with um, our sales figures, marketing? That's what I like to look at marketing. How does that resonate? Uh, and they, I, I don't surprise them. I make sure they're on board. But that's, again, why I think having this chief customer officer, CX, is everything role, who's a marketing leader, is a mistake. You should have a chief customer service experience officer and a chief marketing experience officer. That's I always like to have the two. And they've all been merged into this one, which is I think is the other big mistake in the last decade. Hmm. That's really interesting. And I, I think that's that's funny because that's yes, to your point, I'm just reflecting on what I've seen in organizations and leadership and in and CX is almost unilaterally placed under marketing. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's an interesting I I had I had not really conceptualized that, but that's a, it's an interesting piece that, that you've you've uh, brought to my attention now. Um that I think it's interesting because you're right, it, it's it's kind of like there's a there's forced measurement on the wrong things. And so when it is like a, a an ex, a, a you know extraneous sales number that's not related to the human experience. Then what are we even measuring, right? It reminds me of like Trisha Wong, the, the tech ethnographer, always talks about that. We're, we often are getting, yeah, kind of shoehorned into into you know measuring what we think is more valuable versus measuring what matters. And in this case, like yeah. when it's a, a CX or an, an EX, is part of that. Like uh, you can't you can't get away from that. And so even the idea of like pulling in my experience into the CRM, I think is a brilliant idea. Uh, because then it's like yeah. you can see that on the inside and the and that the customer can also visit that too. 
great. That's again, um, 90% of the stuff I say rarely happens because it takes a lot of guts. That's the problem. So probably 95%. Mm. So um, that part of the logistics company I spoke to you about uh, over a decade ago now. So um, we had no CRM platform. I want to create a case for every time a reason has to contact us. And clearly Mm. we can't answer 100,000 phone calls a day. I want them to be able to create their case automatically. Just go to our website, stick in their consignment number, their postcode, Drop, click one of these categories. And by the way, I want the categories to say, your tracking information is wrong. You say you tried to deliver, but I was in all day, nobody came. Or where's my mm-hmm. parcel? You've left it, I can't find it. We came up with five or six, and I was marking, no, you can't do it, you can't do it, you'll kill us. Let's do it. At least we can say we're trying and we can do it with a small selective group of customers. The two most commonly clicked reasons were your tracking information is wrong. You say I tried to deliver, nobody came and I don't know where my parcel is. The second one we were able to fix with just being honest about that as well, because we hadn't delivered it. We said we had, but the, I didn't just do a superficial website with lovely, sexy words. Every customer that clicked that case type created a case in our new CRM. And that case type was linked to the consignment number. So we knew which driver, which depot had the most people saying they said they tried to deliver, but nobody's in. And we looked at the GPS route and we found 10% of our drivers, 3,000 drivers were the worst culprits. They were probably sitting in a pub for two hours every lunchtime because there was definitely a trend. So, mm-hmm. but the bravery, um, okay, we need to fix this. We need to um, stop drivers doing that. But when we create these cases, I want our customers to be able to see the cases themselves. You can't do that. Oh, God, it'll be carnage. Um, we'll have a six month doing it under the iceberg first to make sure we get on top of it. And but our group CEO had stood up in front of the shareholders, the cities, the investors in in. Uh, three months before I joined and said, I'm going to fix customer experience in our company. So we're the best in the sector. I'm going to, we're going to be innovative. And I said to him, this could make us look bad, but I'm confident when we fix the issues, we know about drivers not delivering when they should, when they know they can't force card and we make it easier for customers to create their own cases and track them. We will just stand out amongst a field of mediocrity. We did it and we cleaned up beyond, you wouldn't believe we were literally the best customer service because a, it was every customer could raise that question case easily uh, I've taken one small step. There's a bravery question. So I was officially, when I joined, in charge of two contact centers of a few hundred people. There were a thousand people dealing with customer service in 75 plus depots. So the people in the contact centers would speak to the customer. They'd then phone the depot. Ah, oh, do you know what's going on with the driver? They'd try and phone the driver. It was just the most ineffective, inefficient. And the reason for that model was if you were a consignee, the likes of you and I waiting for your parcel, you phoned a contact center. If you were the company, the business sending the parcel, you phoned your depot. But actually, mm. what did customers do when they didn't, we didn't answer their calls? They phoned the company to get an answer who phoned our depot. So I said, we have 1,500 people here, all dealing with the same bloody question. When's it coming? Why hasn't it come? Um, I'm gonna, I want to virtualize all those people. I want to join the 1,000 plus people in the depots to my team in the contact center. They're all going to be part of one big customer service team. We're going to give them virtualized technology. Whoever is available can answer the question. God, you can't do that, Alex. My God, they they got to stay in the depots because our customers love local. There's another one of those things. So you're telling me somebody would rather have an hour waiting to be answered in Yorkshire than be answered by someone in Hampshire. No, it's baloney. <laughs> and, uh, so how did I do that? I had to go to uh, an offsite hotel day every, every quarter. All these depot managers would stand up and have and convince them to do it. As you can imagine, mm-hmm. the office boy, you've never delivered a parcel in your life. But the logic made out. And again, it was a leap of faith. We did it. And so all of these things were part of a big picture that 
you have to you have to come up with your everyone says come up with your north star but north stars often require epic voyages to get to them it's not just hey we road map it and we journey map it no my god you've got to really do some brave things and but if you know you're right you know you're right and, and that's the toughest part it kind of mm. reminds me as you're talking about um this idea of of an account of what happened remind me of a medical record and then got me thinking about almost a a medical model of CX where you have symptoms, you provide additional tests to get measures, but then you can't stop there. You have to diagnose what's causing them, what's causing the measurement. And then you provide a treatment and then you examine if the treatment had the intended impact of reducing the severity of the illness and had a beneficial outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm obviously summarizing things in sound bites. Yeah. But there, there was a huge transformation program. There were like yeah. seven strands, but yeah, it is. Um, yeah. I mean, the, f- the first thing I knew, I knew, okay, how can I, the CEO, I, I obviously ran all these things by him. So you want to get all the guys in the depots that work for the depot managers to not report to them, to report to your team. Yep. Oh, they're never going to buy into it, Alex. So you've got to win their hearts and minds, but also you have to win it with logic for the CFO and uh, the network directors. So the logic, I had proof. I had categoric proof that depot customer service was woeful. They they thought it wasn't measured, but I contacted our network director. They answered 12% of phone calls a day if they were lucky. And um, so the and customers important to them weren't getting answers and the churn for their big customers was terrible. So the benefit to you is you won't have your five, 10 people in your depot. You'll have access to 1,700 people. If the guys in your depot aren't ready, it can be answered by someone else. But I also, I also knew that there was always a degree of logic. If you're in Yorkshire, you don't necessarily want your call to be answered by someone in Cornwall. You, you may have to Google these regions. Yorkshire, I'm from Yorkshire. I can't read and I can't write, but I can drive a tractor. And then you, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from Cornwall. How can I help you? It's like the different accents. So we had to think about a, okay, if that bit, Area is busy. We'll overflow to this one, and then this. It'll only go to the furthest accent. A, if we're happy that you understand each other, which you can. You're all English, mm-hmm. but B, it'll go on a, a, a. You know, who's next closest available? Oh, okay, that might work. But anyway, our drivers don't force card, Alex. I knew that was coming. Okay, and it was, I knew the four or five depot managers that were likely to chuck this. So I had real time data at one p.m. for the performance that morning. John, I can show you at the break if you want. No, no, put it on the screen now. You don't have proof, so I put it on the screen. One of his drivers, his buddies, had false carded six times in the last hour, and the uh, IT director was able to prove he'd been in the the White Swan pub. <laughs> it was hilarious. So, okay, was he John, delivering something there? Was he delivering something there? <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah. <laughs> but it was like, oh, okay, uh, he, he was the, the, if I could get him over the line, and then yeah. But oh, honestly, the point I think you made is um, you bring in the big consulting. They, they don't operate. They don't think that way, do they? They, they think about technology, systems, process, lot of numbers, data. And it is, honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the tough stuff is the, the stuff you need to get fixed. Well, if everything, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So for the <laughs> consulting companies, right, it's like, this is what, this is our hammer. And it's, like a, it's a very big, expensive hammer. And we're going to pound, we're going to make everything into nails, whether they're nails <laughs> or not. And versus the craftsman approach. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying there's not a methodology to the madness of the, some of these big firms, but versus this craftsman approach, which is not production line solution, but it's customized solution tailored to the specific situation that you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, the, the other thing is, um, so I'm sure you've seen there's a, in the last decade, there's a huge movement of um, accredited CXs. You see CXP, hmm. CXPA, you know, I, I, every time I, I talk through, um, 
the things I've done, there is a there is a framework, there's a structure. I, I probably should have written it down, but there's always a consistent theme. I take a new role, there's a consistent when I when I see the stuff they learn, it is about here's how you journey map. Here's how you build a VOC campaign. And I, I think it's highly dangerous. I don't I don't criticize the guys so much, but they are, I literally have seen roles here in, in the Middle East and in, in other places where on LinkedIn must be CCXP accredited, must be CXP oh, really? And it, we're talking about vice president of customer experience roles, not not an agent. It's like what the hell? I would never right. ever do those accreditations because oh, it's just ooh, I wouldn't. You know, it makes me feel cheap and dirty. But um, it, it's <laughs> it's a very dangerous. And I think my my concern is right back to the start. There are too many people in CX who make money at CX in anything other than improving customer experience. They literally sell software. They write books. They do podcasts. They sell accreditation. Mm-hmm. There are literally millions. If you Google on, if you look on LinkedIn, there are millions of CX people now. And I, I think you should not be able to call yourself a CX practitioner, expert, or thought leader, whatever, one, unless you understand the principles of customer service experience. Because you know, and a customer service experience is every interaction across every life cycle stage. And, and I think um, if you don't understand a very simple situation, if you're one of these, I, I, I really wish it'd be like a tier system. You're, you're like judo, you know, you're yellow, you're blue. You're now black belt because we know if you were put into an operation as a chief custom officer or a custom experience leader and things were broken, we're confident you could fix it. And I think a lot mm. of these guys would get in there and look at these faces, look at them for encouragement, motivation and ideas. And they would go, oh, I'm out of here. It's, it's tough. It really is. It's interesting because even even in that regard too, that there's been a rise in the in the broader design community for service design as as a field, right? We went from kind of graphic into into we then we saw the explosion of CX and, and PX patient experience, employee experience, but yeah, also yeah, service yeah. design as this area, which is interesting um, to to your point because it's like even kind of how you're articulating it here, it's, it's kind of marrying those those arenas of of CX and service, or I don't know if it's SX. A lot of an ac- well, I, a lot of acronyms, right? Great point. Sorry, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, just saying. I think it, it makes it makes a great point in terms of. Um, I like what you said there at that last that last moment. That um, I want to feel confident that you can fix the problem that we're that we're that we're that we Absolutely. have coming yeah. towards us. Yeah, that's a service model. I think in terms of yeah, it's exactly that. right. Well, interestingly, um, I, I I just agile before. I get agile is perfect for some situations, not for others. And like many methodologies, there are fans and and non fans. But I worked for a digital startup bank um, in the Middle East uh, up until just than a year ago it was a fully agile company everything was agile and i was the customer experience director brought in to set everything up from scratch so contact center i just need to be agile alex they're just agents don't worry about that you just make sure they're recruited um complaints yeah you, you can do that um everything else is agile um okay social media you can do that um everything else is agile okay by the way i need a crm platform i told them uh, uh because obviously all these things i need knowledge management i need customers to be able to contact us seamlessly effortlessly blah 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 oh we're going to build that in-house in that agile chapter no no no, no. <laughs> i need to have ownership of the entire build of the knowledge management the customer experience for when they need help and support at any stage in our app because then we're probably going to have a digital assistant and as well oh that's going to be part of the agile chapter no 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 <laughs> so i won the mother of all battles to get a uh, one of the big four cloud-based CRM platforms because mm-hmm. we were lost. We didn't have time to build CRM right. from scratch, goodness sake. Uh, okay, you can have that. And by the way, that company operate in waterfall. <laughs> ah, mm-hmm. well, they're going to have to. The biggest mistake I made was giving in to let, make them operate agile to fit in line with everyone else. It was so painful, but to be fair to them, they did. But then it came to um, because this company it was all product owners 
design thinking, everything was, you know, agile, full agile, um, chapter sprints, scrums, all that stuff. I didn't have a CX team, a CX product team. I had to work with the the credit card team, the onboarding teams. And the last quick, last one, not quick, not significant, I managed to create a CX chapter where we put somebody in every one of those squads. And they were mostly worried about, okay, how can I do credit card fulfillment or loan applications in, in the app? But not nothing they did was allowed to happen unless it met the CX principles I'd set. At any time, a customer can reach out for help where they are in the app. They don't need to leave a help and support page. Anytime they can choose to talk to a digital assistant. And if the digital assistant doesn't help them, they can choose to have a call back, call us, send a message or have a chat at any time that happens and then after every interaction every time we create a my stuff so they can track it and give us feedback the stuff i've said i, I cracked it and then i left the bank i hear they've stopped doing that completely like <laughs> so sometimes it's um yeah alex just yeah sure we'll do it you, you have to you have to be a relentless honestly the the t- you have to be the same annoying voice i'm so often told i'm the most annoying employee oh yeah whatever because the slightest failure in custom experience is is the biggest failure. You're only as strong as your weakest link. And I, I see it so often that, oh, let's just do it the easy way. Let's do it the way it works for us. Forget the customer. It does feel like, and I was just talking about the idea of innovation with my students, how much time is put into predicting what the barriers are going to be because it's requiring people to do something different than they're used to doing. And also, as you said, because it's, everyone wants to be a leader, but leadership means doing everything the same way everyone else is doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, mean, and, and getting people to actually do what's good for them, going back to the medical model of, you know, how do I improve my health, but don't tell me I have to stop smoking, have to eat better, can't <laughs> drink, have to exercise. Other than that, what, how do we improve things? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you know what this, uh, it, for me, it was so frustrating. Like um, the, the, the parcel, the logistics story, we were the first in, in our country to proactively tell you what time to expect your parcel because we cracked all the issues beneath. We were, that was good. And then I, I've had other ideas to be the first one. With this digital bank, I said, every other bank, they may have a floating chatbot. It's a chatbot. I want a floating digital assistant. Let's give it a cool name. If you think about a bank, the, the floating digital assistant will be the brand name they think of more than the bank name. Yeah, call it, hey, 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 um, what do they call it? Hey, Grogu, just for the sake of a, a fake name. So we, we saw Grogu from Mandalorian. Hey, Grogu, how can I do this? Um, oh, no, sorry, no. We called it, hey, Yoda, your digital assistant. Oh, said, there we said, go. Don't worry about George Lucas. I'll get him over there. We'll, we'll use it internally for now. I wanted right. it on every page of the app. You'd be able to speak in natural language. We had the tech for that, English or Arabic, or type your question. It wouldn't just say, hey, you could, it would say, hey, Alex, based on your everything we know about you, and we capture everything we know about you, here's the, the thing that's best for you, this money transfer rate, this credit card, this loan. I want that to be everywhere. And I saw that as such a huge opportunity. And it just frustrates me. I've heard from the people that, still there that they we're not going to launch that we're going to take our time and they're two two years late to launch as well if they back me i'd still be there now if you back me when you launch you'll be known for the coolest customer service in a bank in the world and they're not going to launch with that now which um there may well be issues but it frustrates the hell out of me and you know that that's why people get annoyed with me because i'm so like if it's not perfect why not and uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot and i have to except a lot of people are happy we're not perfect. I'm, I'm, I, I make myself more frustrated and, and cross than I need to be. Just deal with the average Alex. <laughs> Go, going back to lowering expectations. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
Just title for the book. Yeah. So good is expectations. good enough. <laughs> yeah. um, as as a side note, um, I was I was um, thinking on why we'd use a ten point versus a five point scale, and typically, so what we've seen Jared uh, Jared Spool, who's you know UX uh, one of the kind of the founders of the the UX movement, has is talking about that you know if we want to basically short answer is he, he says five points are better if you're trying to get someone's attitude or, or, or feelings on something because when you want to yeah. add more numbers into something it usually means the data doesn't mean a lot mean a whole lot so if you need to add yeah. 10 in there it tells you less so five five is the winner is the, is the tldr uh, right. <laughs> like this. if you think of mps is 11 it's not to 10 as well right. isn't it that's right yeah. it is and, 11. Uh, but people people make people fell into that billions trillions of why did nobody say, "Hey, why, why are we doing it this way?" <laughs> it's, like, it's like lemmings off a cliff, and everyone rushed. Up. And also, um, the people—I literally um, had a funeral. Somebody showed me a funeral service. Would you recommend this to a friend, dude? Just don't know. Oh, there was a septic tank, and oh my god, recommend to a friend. I actually—I did implement Sat Metrics. Um, the creators of MPS uh, in a previous role. I didn't ever—I used it, the framework, but I never asked the question. Would you recommend this to a friend? Were you happy with mm. the quality of the machine you hired? Were you happy with the service we provided you? One to ten, not to ten, whatever. And, and um, again, what, the key though is we linked. You have to link it to the CRM and the ERP. If we think about all the feedback you give, I, I literally um, I, I've showcased this many times lately. Airlines, most sectors. I, I, there's some surveys I can give the same. I can do the same survey experience more than once. It obviously doesn't have a, a check. So, thank you for your flight. Click here to give you experience. I gave not out of ten comments. You're the worst airline. I will never fly you again. I would tell all my friends. I went back. Thank you for your feedback. What? I went back and did it again. You're the most amazing airline. Please get back to me. I want to book 5,000 flights. Thank you for your feedback. No difference whatsoever. So mm. it clearly isn't linked to, to anything of substance. So, And I know that company. And I know I spoke to one of the board. The NPS is good in their boardroom. My God, forget mm. the number. Um, it's just, it's about the insight. And the, the last bit about NPS, the, most, the vast majority only survey the people that successfully had an interaction or conversation. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> I've given mm. up in your call center queue. You're not going to get a feedback, a survey to say, how right. did you enjoy your call center experience? Are you? It's just it, dumb. It might be better to uh, say, would you recommend us to someone you don't like at all? <laughs> we flipped that a little bit and said, well, you know, if they're like, yes, I would absolutely recommend you to someone I detest. Yeah, we might have a problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. The very last um, aspect, so I, I've done this in the last four or five companies. I'm going to try and keep consistent. Um, effort, outcome, experience, um, one to five. You, can, you write your comments, of course, but it's linked to your case. And then we have a tick box. Would you like us to follow up on your feedback? You tick that tick box, mm. it reopens a case or creates a new case linked to the original case, which then has a calendar, a clock around it. So someone better follow up on this feedback or Big scary Alex is not very scary at all. We'll, we'll be unhappy that we didn't follow up on feedback. So, how often do we give feedback that just they don't bother to get back to you again? So, mm. the whole CSAT NPS movement has just it's made. I know, I know mega millionaires who I've sat next to in boardrooms, and I wish I could time travel and say, "Hey, take me with you, buddy. I'll sell my soul for a decade and do NPS." <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> I'll join you on your yacht in San Tropez right now with my. Uh, I won't say the company name. My my CSAT metric framework that works very well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Bitter and twisted much, yeah. <laughs> so do you do do you know as we as we kind of close things up? Do you anticipate a time where you'll be uh, less bitter about customer uh, service experience? I, I've, 
Uh, absolutely. Do you know what? Um, no, first of all, a clear no. Because no, um, no. The point is, um, my expectations are here. Right. Most people are here. We're all getting here. So, if, but if they ever get to here, I'll then want it here. I want it here. I want it here. Yeah. I was the um the world I want to get to, and actually, it's not a, the end state is quite clear. I want to be able to go. Hey, company X, that order I placed. What's going on, man? That's what I want to speak to right. a bit. And they, okay, here's Alex. Here's the situation. Here's the context. Ah, and actually, we can see we've let him down. We'll do something to put it right. So my input as a customer is, hey, dudes, what's going on? And then within a minute or two minutes, I get something. If they phone me, they message me, they push something. It's an answer that says, yeah, we screwed up. Here's our options for you. Happy with that? That would work for me. But will we get there in the next five, 10 years? I think we're still so far off. So just trying to make CX again more human or humane. I don't like human. Just humans can be awful. I like adding an E to that. More humane, more considerate, more kind. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Cool. This this has been a great conversation. Um, thanks thanks for hopping on with us uh, this morning slash this afternoon. Um, Absolutely. I felt like I did far too much talking. Sorry. I, I, I no. tend to do that when I get on my get on my whatever that thing is. Get, well, get do you, do you feel better? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, I was at least hoping you felt better. I mean, you got that off your chest, and you just reminded me. I, I was watching the football. You reminded me. It no, was triggering. This, this, this episode will come with a trigger warning. <laughs> but you know what? To finish with, I, I really want to get in a debate. So um, we, we've agreed with most things, haven't we? Most yeah. times I speak, people mm -hmm. agree with what I, I want to hear from those people that, no, Alex, you're wrong. Here's why. Here's why you need the CX mm -hmm. department in the corner. Here's why MP, blah, blah, journey mapping. I, I really want someone to, and I, I've, I've said, join me in a public debate. Let people ask us. It doesn't need to be secret. I would love that to happen. And then if they prove to me I'm talking baloney, then I can finally give up. But if they're not, I will never give up. So next okay, on we'll, Experience we'll, by yeah. Design podcast. Debate. We'll, 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 find, we'll find people that disagree with you and then we'll set up a, we'll set up a debate. There's um, usually plenty. That'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right on. Cool, cool. Uh, well, thanks. Thanks again so much for joining us. Um, we're excited to get this out with the good people and um, anything we can ever do to help in the other end. Happy to, to always be ethnographers and thinkers with you. So um, we appreciate it. Nice to meet you both. And feel free to edit whatever you like, because take the, the, the waffly bits out. What, what was the story you didn't know, Gary? The word I said? Oh, uh, oh Torag. To, to, to rag. <laughs> no, that, that, that's the title of the episode. <laughs> Torags. <laughs> Torags with Alex. Oily, oily tick. Yeah, that's oily the iris. All right. <laughs> nice talking to you, gents. Take care. Bye-bye. Like Cheers. Bye. We want to thank Alex Mead for sharing his frameworks and insights about customer service and experience, along with his decades of all kinds of other experiences. You can find more about Alex's work and his writings in our show notes. And as always, we want to hear from you. What bad customer experiences have you had that would you or that would make you want to write a complaint on a clay tablet? Um, I love this prompt and I actually am very excited to hear what, what people would uh, want to choose to memorialize <laughs> on stone. Um, what do you feel about the customer experience profession and movement? I mean, are we moving in the right direction? Are we, what are we still missing? Um, are there ways to kind of help bring together the employee and customer experience into new frameworks? And in your own work, you know, what are, what are some of the methods that you use to capture the voice of the customer? Or do you have ways of doing that? Is it something that you guess? Do you intuit? Uh, do you have ways of capturing it? 
through video, audio, interviews. We want to hear about that. So as always, shoot us a message at feedback at experiencexdesign.com or hop in the conversation on our LinkedIn page. Thanks so much for continuing your patronage and your support of Experience by Design podcast. We've had a number of really fascinating conversations recently, and we're really looking forward to bringing those conversations to you because we think you're going to enjoy them as much as we did tackling the new concepts and the old issues here on Experience by Design. If you'd like to support us even further, you can go to our website at experiencexdesign.com, buy us a coffee, help defray the costs of bringing this wonderful, timely content to you on a mostly bi-weekly basis. Always happy to have your support and always happy to have your recommendations on what you'd like to hear next. Shoot us a message at feedback at experiencexdesign.com, pitch your idea, pitch yourself, or pitch something you'd like to see in the future and we'll try to knock it out of the park. How about that? And how. There we go. And so with that, folks, as always, be safe, be kind, be well, and please be here for the next experience by design.